Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Frank Lacarica are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, good morning, whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, as I always say, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, today we have a packed program. I mean, it's one of those that's going to be moving fast. You got to listen fast, you got to pay attention. It's going to be one of those programs when we get through, all of us in the studios are going to wipe our brow and say, wow, fun. I love it. So, But the guest that we've got lined up is Frank Lacarica is going to be with us today. He's going to talk about college planning. If you got that kid that's been born in the last couple of years and you're thinking through that process and you're saying, my child, I want to go to college, you do not want to miss what Frank's going to be sharing with us because he's going to give us some ideas, some things to do and some things not to do when it comes to college planning. But first, we're going to start out with one of these guests that I always, I just love this guy. He does a great job for us, explains it, kind of the the detail, but helps us understand. It's my dear friend, Rusty Leonard. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, and uh, he is always uh, just a great guy to have on the air talking about the economy and what's happening in the world today when it comes to money. Welcome to the program, Rusty. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Jim. Well, Rusty, I tell you what, it's always a pleasure just to talk with you because the insight that you bring to the table helps us understand. I think it takes kind of the noise out of the investment world because you bring it back and you put it into a solid foundation for us. My first question for you, my thoughts, I'm just looking at the economy, what we've seen, the market, it seems to be hitting. Well, we have. We've hit all new highs here recently. It seems to be kind of going forward and maybe a little bit of a slowing down or a grind, you know, kind of that, you know, you hear that sign that maybe, oh, is this coming to an end? So my question, is the bull market finally getting a little tired? Uh, you know, from my perspective, I think it is. Uh, it, it is grinding higher at this stage of the game, but it's it's not you know, you don't have the sense that it's uh, this madness as much. It seems like the, the people who were playing with funny money and just, you know, borrowing on margin and doing all kinds of uh, insanity, uh, that seems to be waning. It's not totally gone by any stretch of the imagination. You certainly still have some of that uh, at play. But you're seeing, for instance, recently small cap stocks, which had had a very good run in the first quarter, have kind of turned south here uh, more recently. Uh, it's still early days to call a top, but you know, surely we're you know looking at all the statistics and everything. It wouldn't be surprising if we were at a top because it's uh, kind of like it was in almost as bad as it was at the internet bubble in, in 2000 in terms of valuations on stocks. So uh, we're we're somewhere within spitting distance of. Uh, of a high, I think, and the market seems to be telling me that it's really struggling to crank out additional new highs on a regular basis. So I'd be, I'm a little more cautious than normal uh, as a result of that. 
You know, when you talk about caution, you mentioned the tech bubble. And now let me just let me bring it to my perspective. If you're talking, you go back to the tech bubble. You sense that you get you sense maybe we are at a point where, as you said, grinding and maybe maybe with the changes. And you mentioned funny money. Are we investing differently today than we did when we were investing in the tech bubble back in that area of the 90s? I mean, there's this mindset. Recently, I read something about um, uh, a deli in uh, New Jersey, way out of line. You know, just, I mean, unreal. I mean, there's all kinds of things. We had we had all the news and the, the idea behind some stocks that were out of line, of you know, against the norm of what the pros were saying. We had people you know, investing from their kitchen table. I mean, is this different? Are we just doing it differently today? Is this the new investment world? Or is this going to come back and settle down and and not be so out of line, in your opinion? It always settles down, right? You can't sustain this type of uh, craziness, right, where people have kind of lost touch with reality. The the tether to reality has has been greatly loosened. And uh, we've seen this multiple times throughout the history of the investment markets, going all the way back to uh, the Dutch in the 1700s, where they speculated on tulip bulbs for a while and were paying an outrageous amount of money for tulip bulbs and trading them like crazy. So, uh, you know, we just we saw that in uh, 20 and 2000. We see it now in 2021 and then 2020. So these things happen from time to time in the markets where, uh, you know, again, the, the tether to reality is, is very loose if, if connected at all. And uh, and you see it in situations where uh, a tiny little single shop deli is valued at you know large sums of money, and somehow is a public company in the first place. <laughs> makes none of this makes any sense. And these are the types of things you see at a at a market peak. It's always hard to pick the exact time when uh, the peak of the looniness will hit, but. You know, we like I said, we're probably within spitting distance of that. It's it's uh, it's looking pretty crazy uh, on multiple fronts, and it also look is looking, as we said at the start, a little tired. So it, it's looking like uh, people are are beginning to run out of that excess money that they had that they were speculating on. They no longer can borrow any more 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 money on margin because they've already tapped that out. They've gotten all the free money from the stimulus plans that the government has provided. Uh, they're just running out of uh, a supply of new money to keep the craziness going. Well, when you talk about it, if you just tuned in, my guest, Rusty Leonard, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, a frequent guest of ours. And Rusty, when, when we talk, it's kind of like you give us the vision or a, or a picture of what you see, and you, as you said, it's kind of from what you're seeing and you're taking. The reality here is, though, you do an enormous amount of research. We did a program with you a couple of months ago about what the what the day-to-day life of an investment manager is like, and you you do a lot of research. So this is not your um, kind of get up in the morning and wishful thinking. You're thinking through a lot of data. Now, let me ask this question with that mindset. If you had to, and I'm going to kind of just lay it out, if you had to say with this market grinding at this point, now I know every listener's saying, okay, we're at a market high. Rusty said we were. This is grinding. It's, uh, it's not good. And there's not some normality in the market. So here's the question. If we start to see a correction coming, is this a short-term correction? Is this a mid-correction? Or is this the beginning of a economic disaster? 
Well, I wouldn't say it's the beginning of an economic disaster. We would have to have a whole lot of things happen for uh, a complete meltdown of our economy. And unlike in 2008, when we had a banking crisis, that's the worst type of uh, market disaster you can face when the banking system kind of collapses. That then everybody loses confidence and everything, and you know it's a it's a very ugly day. I don't see that happening. Our banks are actually pretty strong at the moment, and uh, so I don't see see that. I do see a cyclical uh, downturn in uh, in some earnings that could certainly happen. And I can see, even if there's not a downturn, uh, there's just going to be a disappointment. Uh, the, the companies uh, will not be able to keep up with the expectations that investors have for them that have propped these shares prices up at such high levels. So we might not have a disaster on the economy, although I'm not necessarily thinking the economy is going to shake out in a wonderful way either. But I don't think we have a disaster looming on that front unless some external circumstances kick in that we you know, can't see at the moment. That always is a risk. But we do have a tremendous overvaluation in almost all stocks, and certainly in the technology stocks. And so that can correct. And you could easily get a 25 30 35% decline in the market just as it returns to a kind of a normal valuation level without any other terrible, horrible news elsewhere. So mm-hmm. you don't need to have a, a big problem. Remember, if you remember back to 1987, we had a 22% correction in a single day, and nothing happened on that day. So, That's a good point. so yeah. there was no negative news that day. It just happened, and so these things can just happen because it's just a you know that that tether to reality all of a sudden gets pulled taut again, and uh, people have to uh, you know all of a sudden wake up and say, you know what, I was in Looney Land there for a while. This <laughs> the reality is this. This is, the, this is what has to happen. Looney Land. I like it. I like it. Yeah. If you just tuned in, Rusty Leonard, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. And as Rusty, as we always talk about, the S&P 500 or any of the indexes we mentioned are unmanaged indexed. Of course, the 500 is large cap stocks. Investors cannot, cannot invest in an index. Now, when we come back, I, I really think one of the biggest, when, when we think through this and we talk about it, one of the things that I think everybody's really paying attention to, Rusty, is inflation. You can, it's hard to get a conversation started with someone without you circling around and inflation becomes that subject that everyone wants to talk about because there's so much debt and can we avoid inflation? And do we go back to a lot of people remember inflation of the 80s? So when we come back, I want you to kind of dive into us and talk about is it going to be changing and is that negative as some people definitely think of it? Or is it more of a positive side? The Fed seems to be straddling the fence, or maybe they've decided on one thing and said it's not a problem. I want to hear Rusty Leonard's thoughts on that. So Rusty will be back with us talking about inflation. If you just tuned in, stay with us, because this is Talk Money. And I tell you, we're talking about the update and the economy, and we're talking with Rusty Leonard. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Neither Securian Financial Services, Inc. nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're talking with Rusty Leonard. I've asked Scott Jordan to come into the studio. He's with us. And uh, Scott's going to give, I've got a question for Rusty here in a few minutes, but Scott will be with us in the second half also as we kind of go back and summarize some of the things that we've heard from Rusty and, of course, get into college planning with Frank Lacarica in the last uh, half of the program. 
Rusty, before the break, we talked a lot about just the the economy and and difference. And I liked what you said that sometimes we get a little off of not being tethered to reality. Uh, and I and I think since that, and I understand that. So let me let me lay it out with about inflation. It seems that inflation has got a lot of things going and moving, and the word or the thought or the possibility. So my question for you, how concerned are you that the Fed, I mean, the Fed's wanting to do the right thing, is going to get its wish with more inflation, number one, that's my thought, and then I guess what is really causing this risk of inflation? I'll go with first question first. What do you think the Fed's wanting? Are they going to get their rate two, two and a half, three percent of inflation? Well, the Fed almost always gets what it wants. Right? <laughs> They're a pretty powerful organization. And yes, they, uh, they are. They set their mind on something. You, you best pay attention, right? Right. And uh, they have laid it out very clearly. They want some inflation. And the reason for that, Jim, is that they, they've had a situation, well, we've all faced a situation where they, uh, the risk of deflation has been a little too close to, the, to happening. And it's something that is, is even more damaging than inflation. So, so the Fed is like, we want to break the back of this deflationary push. We want to get this economy rolling. We want people to start thinking prices are going to be increasing, not decreasing, because that's a positive for the overall economy. So they have, you know, they've just laid it out flat out. We are going to have some inflation. We're going to go get it. And that probably means it's going to overshoot a bit. And the Fed has basically said, we don't care. You know, if it gets, goes too high, too fast, you, you know, you mentioned two and a half, three percent. What if it goes to four or five? Uh, we're certainly seeing some very rapid inflation in uh, various places within the uh, economy. You know, lumber prices, house prices, all that kind of stuff. We're seeing much more rapid inflation, and uh, so they may easily, you know, end up in a situation where inflation overshoots and they have to tighten up in order to bring it back down. But they're happy to do that. That's what they want to see. They want to. They want to have a problem like that versus the problem with deflation. So they'll get their way, I'm pretty sure. And uh, the implication, of course, is that bonds in particular will be hurt, and some stocks will be hurt, if not all stocks. Scott, what have you got for that? I know you've got a question about bonds. Yeah, you know, Rusty, first of all, I always appreciate your opinion, and, and good, to, good to have you on the show today. I, you know, I was thinking about, you know, back going back to what you said about the market being overvalued, and I think if you look by any of the historical, typical measures we look at, whether that's price to earnings, price to cash flow or sales, it definitely does look like it's elevated on a historical basis. One argument I hear all the time on the other side of that, though, is yes, that's true, but with with interest rates being at historic lows, these higher valuations make more sense. Do you have any feedback on that? Uh, yeah, J- Jim and I are old geezers and uh, <laughs> dinosaurs in this business, and we when we hear that, but you know, yes, <laughs> things are high, but we know to, that's a risk right there. It's like, hey, pay attention, right? Because things change, and uh, obviously the, the thing that's changing right now is the Fed is saying they want inflation. If you have inflation, that that generates into higher interest rates. Uh, there's no, you know, it's a pretty much a you know foregone conclusion if. if Inflation rises to three or three and a half percent. You're going to see interest rates on the long-term treasury, you know, four to four and a half percent easily, right? So that's the concern. That's the risk. So you can't count on those low interest rates, which are astronomically low for an extended period of time, because the Fed demanded that, right? They insisted upon that. But now they're telling you they're changing their tune. So pay attention. Mm, pay attention. Boy, that's um, write that down. Pay attention. That's <laughs> I, I made a note of that. <laughs> made a note of that. <laughs> Uh, Rusty, let's think about this. The Fed, 
as you said, says the higher inflation, that they want some inflation, they want it to be moving, will be transitory, that they feel that they can get this thing moving, that they're not going to overreact to it. I mean, they actually said, I mean, you got this sense that they're not going to do anything with interest rates. They're just going to let the economy go, and they're going to see this inflation. Do they have that right? Now, you said, you know, sometimes we have to just listen to the Fed and see what it's going to do. But I sense almost like they're not going to, you know, you, you go back and you look at the history. You had the Fed kind of wanting to apply the brakes or the gas a lot, many, many times. And I get the sense here that this Fed saying, no, we're kind of going to let it run with no brakes or no gas because we like what it's doing and we'll do that for 24 months. Now, does that make sense to you? Is that what we're talking about? Or or is that the passive Fed not like we've seen in the past? Well, that's a Fed that has projections that says inflation will jump up to 2.2 or 2.5% or something like that. And they can live with that. And we all could live with that, right? If that's all that happens. But what we're seeing is an economy that's trying to grow faster than it can. So we have shortages of everything, right? We have shortages of lumber, shortages right. of homes. I have a I have a client who's a, a real estate broker, and she's worried that she can't make any money this year because there's no homes in inventory for her to sell in her area. So, so you know, you're seeing house prices, all that, all those shortages, whether it be uh, computer chips or whatever that are causing the auto plants to have to shut down. Uh, there's just a bunch of shortages throughout the system because the economy is trying to grow faster than it actually has the capacity to do so. And that all leads to inflation. The inflation could turn out to be much worse than 2.2 or 2.5%. Wow. Okay. If so, the Fed will have to you know, react to that, and that will be a shock to the markets. All right. Let me ask you this. And I, I, this is a question that so many people have on their minds. And for our listeners, it's really important for us to kind of get a grasp. Washington, I mean, there's just got so many ideas going through Washington right now. A lot of changes whether it's regulations and laws. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on, a lot of thought, a lot of we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Now, with all that going on in, in Washington, what are the chances of Washington pushing some things through and getting some laws passed that uh, may or I won't, I'm not even going to say whether they're good or bad. Do you think that's going to be the case? Is that what you see that the the current party is going to push things through, or is that going to be a is there a stalemate? Is that a possibility? Uh, I think you're going to hear lots of barking coming from uh, Washington D.C. and very little biting because they just can't get it done. As long as Joe Manchin holds firm and says I will not support any changes to the filibuster, which you know that's we're really counting on this you know Democratic legislator from uh, the reddest of red states to hold firm. If he does that. Nothing much is going to come out of Washington D.C. They're not really going to get too much. That at least nothing that isn't uh, uh, nothing bizarre will come out of Washington D.C. in terms of uh, laws because they won't be able to get it through the Senate unless they're willing to compromise with the Republicans. And if you get a compromise piece of legislation, that's going to be probably something that's more reasonable. So I don't expect uh, just a lot of crazy stuff coming out of D.C. because the votes aren't there in the Senate. Well, I think that's critical for a lot of people to know. Do you think that that Washington, I mean, well, I guess I'm going to stay with this right here. All of that noise, how does that affect the investor in your heart? And what do you think? Oh, yeah, that, that does affect people. And, you know, what we're seeing today is the, the triumph of the narrative over the truth, right? So people create narratives and uh, they, they become the, the truth of the moment, even though they're not truthful at all. So, uh, 
Uh, you know, we've seen this in the investment markets with a deli in New Jersey, where the truth is clearly uh, disconnected from reality. Uh, we see it with the tech stock valuations. So we Good see point. it in the markets, but we also see it in politics. You know, obviously there's various politicians we won't name names here, but uh, who just say things where they they tell a blatant lie. Yeah, they know they're lying. They know that we know they're lying. And they still go ahead and tell the lie. It's kind of hard to figure out what's going on, but it's all about promoting certain narratives that they want to uh, that they're going to leverage to get their you know, try to get their way in Washington D.C. But the good news is that despite all that lying and blatant lying, uh, the way the U.S. public has elected the representatives uh, to our Congress, that it means that there's a very low probability of some of the crazy things that are being discussed actually ever becoming law. Well, I think what you said gives us a tremendous insight. I guess um, I got 10 seconds. Tell me what you think about. Well, I don't have 10 seconds. I'll let you come back. I'm going to hold on to you. Don't go away. We'll come back because I want to find out what the normal is. You just tuned in. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Well, welcome back. And uh, just talking with Rusty, Rusty gave us an enormous amount of information. He did have to take off. He had another conference call. He's a busy man, and we so much appreciate. But, I, uh, you know, at the reality, I have Scott Jordan. And, Scott, you're in the same ballpark. I mean, you know. Well, that's a uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, we were talking with Rusty about, you know, inflation and, and the reality about the market and value stock. But the question that I think we kind of you know, left him with. And, I mean, he said he'd come back after this conference. I said, you know what, radio, it's radio. We keep yeah. moving. Um, but we'll have him back on because I really want to talk, get his opinion on this. But you and I have talked about this. This idea of what is normal in the market today. I mean, he talked about, you know, uh, New Jersey and a value out of the wazoo going crazy on stuff like that with this right. deli. You got all kind of things like that going on. Uh, do you see, I mean, you've been doing this a long time. We ever see normal again? Well, I think, again, I would define normal. That's the first challenge is what is normal. I think this is kind of normal for the market. If you look back historically, you know, there are times where people get a little overexcited about the market and valuations start to get elevated. That's a normal part of investing. You know, when people, people get that, we call it fear of missing out, sure. right? They see other people making money. They see the you know, the, the ticker on the TV going up on the S&P 500, and they don't want to miss out on that. So that can tend to drive valuations higher. And I, I think that's what Rusty was alluding to, that we've got kind of an elevated market here. So that is kind of normal. We've seen that a lot. But yeah, like he said, I think it'll settle down at some point. One of the things that Rusty and I talked about, and you've talked about too, is the fact that we have such a media blitz that we can, we can, He's talked about this new, you know, from a standpoint. We mm -hmm. can put out news today, whether it's correct news, fake news, yeah. whatever you want to call it, 
so fast. Very fast. You know? And yet you go back, as he mentioned, the, the tulip industry in the <laughs> Netherlands. I mean, all of a sudden people were investing in tulips. I have always, I've read a lot about that. I've always tried to figure out what in the world was going on I, in somebody's know, mind it's to a buy head a tulip. And say that's the economy. We say that. We'll probably look well, back at things we're doing today, sure today and go, who would have ever who done that? Exactly. But yeah, it, it, it seems mind-boggling that people would have bid up the price of tulip bulbs, of all things. Uh, but that was a reality. You know, asset bubbles happen when people get over-exuberant about investing in things and start driving the prices up. So let me, and I've been to, to the, I've been to, you know, there, Holland, and I've been to actually seen these tulips. And I will say this, they are magnificent. I mean, it, the do well, see, okay. that's, so, they are phenomenal. What I, in, I mean, maybe I might say, well, that one's worth a hundred dollars, <laughs> but I don't know if I would see it as part of my economy. I, but hey, you're right. Back then, maybe that was what was it, going on. Yep. Let me ask you this. We've talked about stocks, and we talk mm-hmm. about, you know, value stocks and growth stocks. And, you know, for years up until just in the last six months, growth stocks were just absolutely a no-brainer. My grandson, my granddaughter could have bought growth stocks right. and made money. That's changed. Value stocks seems to be. Why do you think so? Well, I think that going back to the valuations, the valuations of a lot of those growth stocks have gotten into really, really high territory. So I think you started to see money broaden out in the market, which is a good sign. Uh, I was thinking about that when Rusty brought up the fact of valuations. I think if you separate the S and even the S and P five hundred into like the the top five versus the rest of them, you'll see a big divergence in the valuations there. Now the value stocks, like you said, have picked up year to date. So some of those are even getting a little hefty in the valuations. But, um, you know, for the most part, growth, I don't think that story's going to end yet, I think, as long as interest rates stay low. Now, that could be a game changer. You saw that earlier this year when the the growth stocks took about a 10% pullback based on people getting scared because interest rates started to rise really quickly. So if we saw a, a larger rise in interest rates, you say might see more of a pullback on those growth stocks because, again, those companies are growing. They depend on that cheap money to keep fueling that growth. So if we see those rates start to increase a little faster than expected, you could see a pullback on that. But I think I don't think that story has changed so much as, you know, they've just gotten a little pricey. Mm, a little pricey. That's a good point. Let's talk about what's going on this summer and the idea that people are going to do a lot of traveling this summer. Sure. The pandemic seems to have backed away. There's the, the, that part of the economy should have a tremendous amount of growth. Reality is that I think we have to think through this when we look at it. Do you feel that, the, that this momentum in the market, because of the summer, usually the summer kind of slows down, right. the volume in the market's not there. Do you think that's going to have a tendency to slow this Ten, the, the market exuberance, or do you see us just keeping this mindset going with people doing things that, that are not the norm in the fall? I, I think that's there's some potential for that, but I, I think you could also see a rotation into some of these names that haven't recovered as quickly, uh, like the travel industry and the leisure industry. That um, again, when you look at how much money's sitting on the sidelines, I oh, mean, yes. M two. You know, that's liquid money has increased by over $4 trillion year over year. That's a massive amount of money. Now, a lot of that money has been used to either save or pay down debt. So it's estimated somewhere around 75% of that money has either been saved or used to pay down debt. But now I think that people are itching to get out and spend some of that money, and we could see 
a large expenditures as people start to want to travel again, get out of the house. You know, we've we've got over 50 percent of the people vaccinated already. So I think there's a lot of potential for some areas in that industry to do extremely well. You know, you talk about Rusty mentioned the manufacturing and the fact products are not going to. I read something recently. This comes from Morning Brew, which mm-hmm. I read, and it was uh, April the 7th when it was printed. It said in March, factory activity in the U.S. hit its highest level in 37 years. That's but amazing. 37 years now, here's the thought. Here's, the, here's what blew me away. It would have been higher had there been qualified workers to help produce in the production. Wow, market. I'm telling you, that is that is a big problem today. Labor shortage. You know, I was reading a story before we came to the show today about a fast food restaurant owner who is having to offer all kind of incentives to try to find to workers. Find workers. He's offering people that work there, you know, a finder's fee for getting people to come in, and he's had to increase his wages by over $3 an hour just to try to attract people and still having issues doing that. So, that I mean, that just tells you the the economy is running hot right now. We have a good economy out there. The Fed is committed to you know doing everything it takes to get us back to full employment. And and like Rusty said, the Fed usually gets what it wants. So I, I think that there are good signs in that. In that, yes, the market by historic standards may be a little elevated, but we also have the potential for a real hot economy. And whether we like it or not, that's the news that's today. And that's the, it. the point is, we can either make all of this negative or all positive. It's according to how you want to put the spin on it. And I think what we're trying to say, and I think Rusty said it, is the market, the, the, market, the economy, uh, don't make it your enemy. And so you right. always say this. There's a way that everybody, and we need to say it today, when you invest, there's a couple of principles that everybody needs to understand, start with it. And and I, I, think, I think they're truer today than, than, than ever. And that's, you know, we start with asset allocation. You know, what's, what, how much risk are we willing to accept? And that's how much we're going to have in stocks, how much we're going to have in bonds. And the second one, diversification is key right now. I think remaining diversified in this type of market is critical. Uh, I do think there are a lot of opportunities out there for some uh, active managers to be selective about what they're buying and find some opportunities that have not been run up in valuation so much. So I think that diversification and that that active selection and being more selective, whether it's in the uh, credit markets or the stock markets, is going to be key going forward. And then finally, we always want to rebalance that, right? Once we've decided, hey, I want a certain amount in stocks and bonds, uh, I'm well diversified, you know, at least once a year, we like to, you know, sell some of the things that have done well and put that into some of the categories that haven't done as well, just to keep that asset allocation consistent with that tolerance for risk. I like it. It's always a standard. It's the basics. It's Money 101, and that's so, so, so important. I like what you said about diversification. Of course, remind everybody, diversification, absolutely you've got to do it, but it doesn't guarantee you that your bargain, that your portfolio is always going to be up or down. It's just reality. It's part of being a little bit more of that um, awareness of what you're investing it's, it's in. It's a risk management. Exactly. It's, it's managing risk. Well, coming in the studio, I mean, we've got the expert when it comes to college. He's got a four-year-old. And he's got a college plan. He's a planner. <laughs> he's going to need it. <laughs> he's got it. I can't wait to hear this guy tell us about what you got to do and what you shouldn't do when it comes to literally doing college planning. My guest is coming back with me. He'll be Frank Lacarica. 
and we're going to find out about college funding. You don't want to miss it. It's important. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thank you so much for being with us today. We've got so much lined up, and we have Frank Lacarica with us today, and he's talking about college funding. And, Frank, welcome to the program. Jim, thanks for having me back. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, I know you've got a four-year-old beautiful daughter. I mean, you know, fortunately, she takes after like her, her mom. mom. <laughs> yes, she does. I mean, amen. <laughs> I mean, if we could do this, we ought to be television. We ought to show pictures. It would be so easy to say there's no genetic <laughs> whatsoever. Not much of a contribution <laughs> on his part. <laughs> but that's a good thing. But you're doing college planning, and I know with your clients, you spend a a lot of time helping people work through that process in all seriousness. We're talking about a very serious thing because, I mean, bottom line is education today really does help a person move in their in the society, better job and education. College education can play an integral part. I mean, I, I just think that's important for us to know. And I'll talk some more about that in a minute. But there's two plan or a plan, 529 plan. That everybody, I think, is probably familiar with, at least have heard the the term, a 529 plan for college. Talk about that. Yeah, what t- is that? Typically, typically, when people are talking about the 529 plan, they're talking, there's two types, but they're talking about the college savings plan type. That's it's the first type. It's uh, also known as the qualified tuition uh, program. Most commonly, they're state-sponsored. Uh, but that's the one that most people think about first when they hear 529. Uh, they do offer tax income benefits. They offer tax-free earnings growth, tax-free withdrawals, so long as they're used for qualified education expenses. Uh, it can be invested similar to how you invest uh, in your 401k or other accounts you may have. Uh, you invest in mutual funds uh, inside of the the state plans. And that money grows, and then it's used for qualified educational expenses, tuition, fees, books, supplies, rooms, board, the, the costs associated with attending a university. So can, can I transfer that if I start out and I've got three children, four children, and the first child, everybody says, well, my son's going to get a full ride at such and such a college playing whatever sport that, you know, dad wants him to play, you know, <laughs> and that's okay. Or maybe says, mom, you know, mom says my daughter is going to be the best singer in the world and going to get a full ride at whatever. That's the dream. Mm-hmm. That's not always the reality. Can I change from one child to another? You can't. Uh, there's there's flexibility there. You're allowed to, to pass it from one child to the next, to the next, to the next, as long as you stay Inside the family, you're, you're allowed to transfer to immediate family members. In some situations, you can transfer to extended family members, stepchildren. But as long as you stay kind of within that, that single up family and, up unit, and down. Yeah, up and down, you're, you're, you're typically fine there. So. Does it affect financial aid if, I, if my child is uh, we're going to need some financial aid? I mean, college is expensive. It's getting, it's getting really expensive when you consider the, the cost of you know, the, the average in-state 
university being almost $11,000 a year. And this is just tuition. This isn't the extended cost of room and board. And out-of-state tuition nearing $27,000 a year, yeah, it gets expensive. Uh, as far as applying for financial aid, there, back to your question, you when when you're listing your assets uh, on on the financial aid application, the five two nine plan, the qualified savings plan, does count as a listed asset when being considered for financial aid. Yes, it would. So so keeping that in mind, now you said five two nine a savings plan. Mm-hmm. Give me that one more time. A savings plan. It's a qualified savings plan, qualified tuition plan, college savings plan. Okay, so I can use that for whatever. Room board, yeah, the, the, the cost of tuition plus a room, board, books, supplies, any of the costs associated with attending the university. I yes. understand now that the state of residence may offer some tax advantages to the residents who participate in their state plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, a, there's each 529 is specific to the That's state. That's Greek, by the way. Holy cow. <laughs> That's Greek on the radio. <laughs> tongue twister. <laughs> little, uh, little, little, little. I like it. It's, it's, so Tennessee would have uh, a different uh, a different tax advantages than, say, Virginia or Michigan. And they got to meet certain conditions, and, you know, the state may mm-hmm. have some certain conditions. And, and then, you know, bottom line is if you miss out on the certain tax advantages, you can use a state's 529 plan, it, you know, just, just understand you've got to work through. Yeah. And you're not limited to using, okay. if you live in Tennessee, you do not have to use Tennessee specifically. You could use another state. You're, you're All right. So to. choosing the state mm-hmm. or any state, you know, that you're having to work with, you need to understand that, you know, it's uh, there's some factors there that you need to work through and know the investment options. And in other words, it's not just blindly doing this. Pay attention to what you're doing. Each state's different. Each each state is specific. Yeah, okay. it, it would it would definitely be a conversation worth having with your advisor. All right, you mentioned investing though. That's because you're in a five two nine plan. Everybody needs to understand this doesn't guarantee that those contributions and investment returns will be adequate. I mean, you're not guaranteed if I put my money in a five two that I've got. You know, it's going to make enough. I've got to I got to do it. I got to be disciplined. It's not guaranteed that it's going to be adequate to cover the higher education costs and contributions to this may assume investment risk. They do, like uh, like any other investment, like a 401k or a brokerage account or a raw, whatever. There's, there's investment risks associated. I mean, a lot of people forget that loss of principal is possible. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, for non-educational purposes, withdrawals, there may be some penalties. So point is, read the fine print. If you're doing a 529 college savings plan, mm-hmm. but you mentioned a tuition plan. That's just for tuition. It's yeah, it's a prepaid tuition plan. You buy credits towards the cost solely of the tuition. And there's a, there's a few states that have them and a few states that don't now. Uh, but how it works essentially is if you buy a semester's worth of tuition to a university, you buy it at today's price. So if you have a two-year-old and you want them to attend your state institution and you buy a semester's worth of education, you're paying today's prices. That covers the cost of the tuition. Okay, you mentioned $10,000. Today, with your four-year-old right. daughter, you buy $10,000 of tuition for XYZ school, mm-hmm. XYZ university. When that gets time for her to go to that, with the, if tuition's $50,000, it's paid. It, the what that one semester's paid, and you can you you purchase blocks like that. Scott, which one do you like the best? 
Well, I think from a flexibility standpoint, I like the uh, the more the savings method because, you know, again, with the prepaid tuition types, and I think there's only about nine states that still offer those on an ongoing basis, but uh, those are very limited. You have to go to school in that state or you're penalized. So it's, it's very much buying that tuition for that state's university. So you have to go to university in that state. And, you know, a lot can change between now and the time your child goes to a higher a institution of higher learning so it's it's having that flexibility of the 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 savings type because like like frank said even though they're sponsored by states uh all 529 plans are sponsored by states but you can use that money for any any state's uh, tuition so you're not limited to just using it in the state that you establish it in and frank you mentioned that it moves from child to child it's not it just it has to be your child with regard to either one either of, one of them yeah is, is they they move in other words, if I start child. my son out or my daughter out, but mm-hmm. I decide that she doesn't want to go to college or she's going to college on a full ride or whatever, and I have two more children, it not, it's not like I lost it. Nope. It's applicable to the other two children as well. Extremely important for people mm-hmm. to keep that in mind. Now, let's talk about qualified money, whether it's a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. Roth has come, become very popular here in the last several years, and reality is you can use either one of these to— Pay for college education. Absolutely. Uh, the conversations that, that we have now are more often, hey, we've got to this point. College is right here. We didn't necessarily utilize 529 plans we prior to this. We didn't discipline ourselves with something else. How do we pay for college? Right. Uh, and the reality is cash. And you can use traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs. You mentioned Roth specifically. Uh, you're allowed to withdraw your basis from the Roth. So the right, contribution basis to everybody. Basis How are, much? Your money, not the growth. Right, not the money the growth. that you've put in, you uh, you can withdraw that to pay for college. Early at fifty nine and a half, you waive that ten percent penalty. The income is free, so you're not paying taxes on the distributions from a Roth. Okay, so that's important that we know. What about taxes on the traditional traditional IRA? Uh, because it's a it's it's a deferred vehicle. You do owe ordinary income tax. However, you do not have to pay the 10% penalty so long as it is used for one of those qualifying educational expenses that we talked about with the 529, very similar there, tuition, all the costs associated with college. It's, it's waived. All right. That's, that's critical for us to understand. Guys, thanks so much. I think you've given us some great insight. I mean, the bottom line is start planning. No doubt about it. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Thank Scott. You, Jim. Well, if you've been listening, I appreciate so much that you've been with us this morning. And, of course, obviously, we've been talking with Frank Lacarica and Scott Jordan. And earlier in the program, we were talking with Rusty Leonard. Well, next week, you do not want to miss what's going on next week. We're going to talk about behavior biases and love languages when it comes to money. You don't want to miss that. That's Wednesday at 9 a.m. and I get on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM, the mighty 990. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. And guess what? We have some phenomenal guests to do that. You do not want to miss the program. They always talk with us about things that you find interesting. And we so much appreciate it. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Frank Lacarica are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. 